it's okay to fail. When you decrease your fail rate, you decrease it from, you know, 80% of what you do fails to 75% of what you do fails, right? It's never okay to make the same mistakes twice because if you haven't learned anything from it, you're just stupid. But it's okay if you have good intentions, it's okay to fail. That's Miha Kaufman, the co-founder and CEO of Fiverr, a global online marketplace for freelancers. Let's say you're a designer. You can list your services and display your portfolio. And then companies who want stuff designed like a new website can find you and hire you to do the work. It's called Fiverr because at the beginning, all the tasks cost $5. Though the pricing has changed, the name has stayed, and the platform is currently used by 4.2 million customers in 160 countries worldwide. The company launched in 2010, and as you'll hear, Micha was committed to growing it organically, so spent nothing, nothing, on marketing for the first five or six years. And that is even more incredible when you think that Fiverr, which went public in 2019, has a current market cap of just under $1.4 billion and revenue of over $160 million this year so far. Micha says it's three times larger than it was when it floated. But during the pandemic, they skyrocketed to a market cap of $11 billion. Yeah, we're going to get into that. Welcome to Secret Leaders from Kindling Media. I'm your host, Dan Murray-Serta, and I'm a founder myself. So in my conversations with other entrepreneurs, I use my experience to find out the moments that made them into the leaders they are today. Miko was inspired to go into business by his father a mechanical engineer who built his career from nothing to starting his own company and then becoming an expert in his field. Miha wanted to do something which would give him a foot in the door into the business world. So he studied law with economics. He ended up specializing in patents and though he didn't enjoy it, it gave him access to the tech world. He began learning to code. He learned how to market, how to design. Then in his late 20s, after a good few years of practicing law, something happened which turned his world upside down. When I was about 29, I was already married and we had uh, one son and he was three years old. Um, my, my wife got sick and that moment made me realize that I couldn't waste more time doing something I wasn't passionate doing. That was an epiphany for me. That was, that was a great realization that we, we take so many things for granted. I mean, just our existence, our health, um, our ability to have a tomorrow, our ability to plan 10 years ahead. It's nonsense. It's, in reality, it's nonsense. If you lost someone dear to you and, and if, if this was sudden, you, you know that. So that really changed the way I was looking at things. And it, it took um, a few more months um, getting into, you know, coming into practice again to stabilize things. Then I started at, at that point, as, as I was going back to work, I started working on my first startup. And that, that was during the nights. And when, and when I felt that this was, you know, that, it, that things had enough momentum and I, I had enough confidence in, in myself and my ability to actually uh, run that as a business. And it was a very small business. Then I said, you know what? I, I, I can't continue doing this. So I've, we've accumulated a, a little bit of money over the years. 
And I said, I'm going to risk all of that to support this new lifestyle. And, and by the way, my wife was super supportive without her support that, that, that would have been very, very difficult. And, you know, we, we talk a lot about the, uh, the hardship and challenges that come with being an entrepreneur and, and we sometimes neglect our partners. If, if you don't have a very supportive environment, then what, what's already hard becomes, you know, twice as hard. And, and so I, I made that move. Um, and everything from that point be, became, with time, became more and more extreme. My, my desire to, to accomplish things, this idea of not procrastinating on anything. And I think that all, all of that started shaping me as a... I don't think that it made me a, a different person, but it accelerated things that would have otherwise take 20 years. Yeah, it's really interesting you say this. I think with a lot of... Um... A lot of the great stories that I hear, you know, from inspiring people that have done stuff, it isn't necessarily that um, other people won't do those things. I think you've just hit the nail on the head. It's the accelerant. It's quite often people have a moment in their life, whether, you know, whether it comes from something that happens to them or something that happens to a loved one or whatever. You know, I had it from my father passing away when I was younger. Like people tend to have this thing that just jolts them up into some new sense of reality where they're like, whoa. I got to go out today and tomorrow and do something about it. Um, and it is inspiring to hear like different people's versions of what that thing is. And, you know, it's a, one of those fascinating uh, paradoxes of life, isn't it? Which is the most terrible things that might happen to you in your life are in the long term. They're the best things. That's very true. I, th I think the, to, to me, the, uh, you know, the, the summary of all of that is just, the understanding of how fragile life is, you know, and how, how fast it, it, it can change. And, and, and I think that the, the appreciation of that made me think and make, you know, made me think about the things that I wanted to do, but also made me think about how far into the future I want to plan. It, it's, it's okay to, try to imagine what, what would happen in five or 10 years, but also you should understand how unlikely that is to materialize one, because, you know, many things change that you haven't factored in and two, because there's so many things that you don't control. So, so really focusing on, on the here and now and, and thinking in, in, I think time increments, you know, I, I constantly talk about velocity. You know, I, I talk about this at the company, you know, at, at the, at velocity over process process is, is very much thinking about how to structure things and put things in place so that you can, you can execute and you can plan and you can do whatever for the future. And velocity is just, it's, it's kinetic energy. You know, it's, it's the, it's, it's movement, it's momentum. And I'm always trying to keep people at high momentum, high velocity, because it's it's so much harder to start things than it is to to continue pushing them and and, and growing them. And I, I've I've learned that the hard way. So so I think that that is very important. And so and and that also allows you to to obsess about the things that you do now. You know, 
funny enough, when when we took the company uh, public, it was important for me to create an infrastructure at the company and at the company's management that will allow me to spend more time in the future than in the present. And this was this this is probably a part of this process of growing, right? So spending less time on on what's happening today or this week or this quarter or maybe even this year and spending more time in what's going to happen, you know, 2 or 3 years from now, which is kind of in, in a paradox with what I said about, you know, liking the here and now. But um but but this also comes with uh with your job, having to think about try try to envision what's going to happen in the next 2 3 years. So that, that that could inform the decisions that you make for today. But uh, but I still in in my in my personal time, you know, the the things that I that I want to do, the places that I want to see, the hobbies that I maintain, all of that, I'm I'm obsessive about this. Because, because this is this is this is all we have. It's the time that we spend here and the the experiences and the memories that we gain, that's it. The business Micha launched following his wife's illness was not Fiverr. That would actually come three businesses later. But like Fiverr, his first business, a software security company, was about offering a solution to a problem. In this case, he had private sensitive information on his work laptop that he wanted to encrypt, but he just couldn't find the right product. I started looking at the popularity of different software and I, I decided that, that there was a market for this. And, and this was, this was the seed, this was the beginning. And I started super naively. The first company, it was just, it was like thinking about this. This was so funny. This was pathetic. Seriously. I mean, one of the things, you know, um, I, I, I found someone on the internet, uh, by coincidence and we became partners and we, set up a company in Delaware. Like who, who does that? Seriously, at, at that stage. And we filed for patents for our software, which nobody does that anymore. Um, it, it was very naive, but this was, it was, it, it was tasting this, this, uh, this incredible experience of, of creating something from thin air from scratch putting it out there and having a stranger send you $19.90, you know, for something that, you know, someone who doesn't know you um, and just like what you created. And that, that was, that was the beginning. And this was a drug. This was, this was, I mean, that, those sweet Nineteen dollars uh, were the, probably the sweetest money I've ever made, um, and this was this was intoxicating. This was like I, I was hooked. That that was it. Um, so th- this is how the the first started, and then I I've done two other companies in very very different fields. Um, w- one was a medical device company. Again, I had I had an idea, a super crazy one. And, and I've actually worked with my dad on this. And then I, I started another company. Th- this was very much like Apple News 15 years ago. 
it was uh, this idea of, of being able to create this uh, content uh, personalization engine that would that would create a, a personalized magazine for each each individual in the world. And this was so much ahead of its time. And then came Fiverr. And I always I always refer to Fiverr as the you know taking all of the the, the gigantic list of mistakes that I've done in all of my previous businesses and just starting one properly <laughs> like taking taking all of the lessons learned um and and setting up a, a company that would that would have a, a good chance of succeeding and then we had a, a lot of luck so just before we go on to uh how obviously lucky you are what happened to the three previous companies success and failure three failures three successes the first company still exists and and my partner uh, from many, many years ago, still owns it. Second company registered patents. We we didn't end up licensing any of them. Um, and third company, third company failed. That was that was a pretty uh, bitter ending. But again, I, I you know I've and I have closed that company. Um, but 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 the lessons from these companies were. This was tuition. This was just, I mean, it was so, so, so important. How, how did, sorry, Miha, because um, you might be about to literally perfectly say exactly what I'm going to ask, but, you know, how did it, how did it feel to um, go through the tuition and the lessons, but in the context of responsibility, parent, husband, because, you know, in, in reflection, I find it is easy to say, uh, you know, X many years ago, this thing failed. And if I hadn't have failed, yeah. then today I wouldn't be the person I am. And I think that's really important. But you also have great lessons for us on how to respond in the here and now and how to take each day as it comes. Yeah, I, I believe that my uh, the, the process of winding down my previous company was too long. It was too long. It was it was pretty miserable. I felt very responsible for the investors. Um for for the team and i i probably dragged it well beyond the point um of of you know knowing that it was it was the right thing to do to close the company so this was this was one the other is i think i spent probably too long at at uh at doing retrospect on you know what worked what didn't work and, and the lessons learned from that. But the lesson from doing it and dwelling on it too much was, was, was an important lesson, which is fail faster and stand up on your feet faster, right? It's, it's much higher tolerance for failure. And that is one of the important principles here, which is we need to provide people with space to fail. My fail rate has been decreasing over the years, but it's not, it's not like everything I do is, is great or nine out of 10 things I do work. If you're trying to grow your startup and you're dealing with companies outside of the UK, you're probably going to need ISO 27001 at some point. 
It's not the sexiest acronym, but it's basically the global standard for proving your security practices are up to scratch, like how you handle customer data. The same goes with SOC 2. You're going to need it if you're a SaaS company. But achieving these security frameworks can be very tedious and very costly. This is where our partner Vanta comes in. Vanta automates up to 90% of the work for certifications like ISO 27001, SOC 2, GDPR, HIPAA, and more, getting you audit ready in weeks instead of months and saving you up to 85% of the cost. And as a special offer, our listeners get 20% off Vanta. Just head to vanta.com slash secretleaders. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash secretleaders for 20% off. There's a link in the description. Look, you know I'm fascinated by AI. But until the machines take over, there's only one thing that's going to determine your company's fortunes. People. This isn't some kind of hollow point to make me look good. If you speak privately to any successful entrepreneur, they'll confirm it's true. So, if you're a leader of a growing business, then you should check out Personio. It brings together all the important HR things like hiring, onboarding, payroll data, performance reviews, and so on. You don't want loads of employees sending you emails asking for time off. You want to be able to see things objectively, like it's taking you too long to hire. You want to do performance reviews well, having clear goals for people that are logged in a centralized system. And you want to do all these things in one simple tool without having to become an HR expert. All of this is possible with Personio. Check it out at personio.com forward slash secret leaders. That's personio.com forward slash secret leaders. There's a link in the show notes. Talk to me about luck. So first year of Fiverr, how much luck did you have? Like, where, like how did you launch? Where did you launch? How lucky were you feeling uh, back then? We were fucking lucky. We worked super, super hard. But, you know, a lot of, a lot of when, when, when people talk about luck in business, a lot of it is just timing. You know, we launched in 2010. Coincidentally, 2010 was the year when millennials started getting into the workforce. Now, freelancing was, was going, undergoing a change. It used to be 20 something percent of the American workforce. So it was, it was a pretty decent size, but it was growing. And millennials have, have made, have made this accelerate and, and then Gen Z. Now this, this was the first component of luck. The second was we, we worked hard on, on figuring out how to make how to compress the idea that we had at the time into this unbelievably simple to use product in um, super sticky idea for people to get caught with and, and, and come up, coming up with the, with the name and, and how the name resonated and how the, the, how we started marketing ourselves and how we built this was just so well received. So we were super lucky. I mean, you, you, you could come up with the same idea and, you know, nobody's going to notice you. So just to frame this story, this was bootstrap, right? So, uh, you know, me and my partner coded, designed all of it ourselves. We had one freelancer that was, that was working for us. 
Um, and and we launched it without without funding. There, there wasn't a company. There, there, it was it was just you know. In, in contrast of you know uh, setting up a company in Delaware twenty years ago, uh, naively, here there wasn't a company. We, we were just we, we just wanted it out. And b- because I've done I've done a consumer internet company before, I said you know I'm not going to go through this hyping machine of like pitching it, you know, to TechCrunch or uh, buying traffic or it needs to be organic. It needs to be grassroots from day one and it needs to have a business model from day one, from transaction one. So so we set it up to be like that. And I remember I remember the first few days, it was it was just crazy. Um, we, we opened the site. And it's it's empty, right? Because it's user generated. You 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 need to have people coming and offering services. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing that always amazes me about marketplaces. It's like I always say, it's the only business I'd never go into because it just uh, fucks my head too much. It's just amazing that they can get going. It, it's it's actually doing doing marketplaces for almost thirteen years. I can tell you that this is by far the most interesting thing you can do. It's it's unbelievable. But anyway. I said I'm not gonna pitch. I'm not gonna pitch Fiverr to anyone. Certainly not the press. Um, but then we we were approached by the Wall Street Journal, and this was probably this was probably our first crisis and one of the one of the biggest ones. And and so we talk about luck and we talk about how things happen. And so it it can it can happen both ways. And sometimes you know you, you can find a curse and a blessing. And they wanted to interview us, and I said, "Okay, great, that's legit." Because I didn't pitch, I didn't pitch it to anyone. If 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 they want a story, I'll give them a story. And I, w- I think that at that time I was, I think I was snowboarding in the in the French Alps. And and so I, they scheduled a, an interview. Uh, I stopped my snowboarding that day, and I um, went in the, into the cabin, and I gave them in, the interview. And so, and so what happened was that Wall Street Journal doesn't generate that much traffic, you know, because it's it's very it's very business oriented, and not every person that reads Wall Street Journal finds Fiverr interesting. But here's the thing: they have an amazing syndication agreements with half of the world, and so their content gets syndicated and goes on many other websites. One that was at the time, at, at 2010, still ginormous was Yahoo. And so the story that was cataloged under Yahoo Finance went on the yahoo.com homepage for two minutes. And then he, the story spent about another four or five hours at the homepage of Yahoo Finance. And then it went to the you know second pay where stories go to die. What happened when we hit the homepage of Yahoo was the following sequence. First, we had so much traffic that the servers melted and we were offline. Luckily, the infrastructure that we had, and this was, again, 13 years ago, was cloud-based, which was pretty unusual at the time. So my partner, who was spending time with his kids on the mall, from the phone started adding servers. And we were barely hanging there. 
The second thing was that people were registering to the website. Now, when you register, you get an activation email verifying that this is actually your email. Now, what happened at that point was that all of a sudden, from an unknown domain on the internet, we started sending hundreds of thousands of emails, which triggered complete blockage at all of the providers, Gmail, Hotmail, you know, everybody. We couldn't send emails, which meant that we couldn't activate accounts. So we said, you know what? Fuck it. No activation. You register, you're in. Then they started ordering. Now, at that time, our infra entire infrastructure was PayPal because PayPal was the first one to do microtransactions and all transactions for $5 at the time. So what happened was that the account was flagged as suspicious because from zero, it had too many deals. So we didn't have a website, no emails, and unable to transact. That was that, was that day. And, and to be honest, it felt like this was done. We were done. We were, it was just too many fronts to fight. Um, you know, in, in a, a few hours later, we, we got ourselves up and running again. And this was, this was incredible. But for the first five or six years of the company, we haven't spent a single cent on marketing. You know, it was, it was 100% organic. And this was because we've built those mechanisms of, of optimizing for viral coefficiency early on. And it was just, it, it was just the, the way we marketed it. The, even I remember having a, a, a Google sheet with 400 different iterations for a tagline. Like, <laughs> What is the tagline that describes what Fiverr is? And just arguing over 400 different versions of that. And I think the, the one we end up we ended up using was just, it was just, it just captured people's imagination. And also the, the way we set up the, the website made it made it almost, you know, you couldn't resist putting something in there and seeing if you if, if someone will buy it. And this was actually an inspiration from a different site in a, in a very different space. So, so when you think about that, that there's, there's so many different components that fell into place that made, made us lucky. I guess, you know, the one thing that you have always had going for you, which is the one thing that every single startup fucks up without fail. is just, what is the one sentence describer what is the one simple thing that you guys do and the name the proposition obviously it's evolved a lot now and that's with scale but with scale you get the opportunity to change prices to add services to do all of those things but back then you know uh sending a message viral like that and and i think i think I, that that's a great point because i think that a lot of entrepreneurs are trying to come up with the tagline that is going to describe who they want to be in 10 years it doesn't work. It doesn't work. You, you're asking for your potential users, customers, whatever they are, to do this imagination process of seeing one thing and imagining something else that that could turn into. The reality, listen, we, we never wanted Fiverr to be a $5 marketplace. That was kind of a gimmick. What, 
it was a gimmick and it was a part of our go-to-market strategy. Okay. So, so thinking about the fact that, you know, we didn't envision this to be a $5 market base. What could be the tagline? So you can call it, you know, the, you know, the freelancing market base for digital services, which was one of the taglines in a much later stage or the tagline that we ended up going out with, which was the things people do for $5. That was the tagline. Does it describe Fiverr, the public company, 13 years after? No. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It's what gets you engaged, what gets you to inspire your potential you know, audience, community. You know, as most companies' uh, weakness, right, is, you know, you try to find product market fit and you try to find communication market fit. Um, and those two things aren't always the same thing either. You could ha- definitely have product market fit without communicating it well enough and you're one one test or one sentence away from getting it right. But with Fiverr, it has always kind of felt like those two things from the off were just so clear that they understood who they were speaking to and how they scaled for those people. We tried. I I. I, I, I'm not sure that we always succeeded. Uh, I, I appreciate your, your, uh, your point of view on that because I, I have, I have my own and mine is tinted from the fact that I'm, I'm a part of this. And what is yours? I, I think that there's always a struggle because there's, if you think about, um, your brand marketing and, and your product, you almost always have one ahead of the other, either your over-promising something that your product cannot deliver or your product is advancing at a pace where you you need to change how you do messaging to reflect that change, but you're still stuck at the old way of messaging stuff. So there's always this this, um, idea of, of trying to balance between those two or at least have them progress in, in parallel. And sometimes you do a, a decent job at doing that, and sometimes you suck. And I think for us, when we moved away from the $5 and we started, we created a much more professional marketplace, a, a much larger catalog, and, and, and a very different type of proposition, it was very hard to move from the old way of storytelling because we, we made the name for ourselves in a, in a specific you know, in a, in a specific segment or a specific market, you know, Fiverr started, I, I was, I was saying that this was a part of our go-to-market strategy and the go-to-market strategy was, was pretty simple. It said, we, we wanted to start at the very basic, um, at the very low end of the market with micro services for micro businesses and then grow up market by extending your catalog. Um, and adding more professional services and going from microservices all the way to projects and with businesses from micro businesses all the way to eventually enterprise. And, um, and so, so I think, I think that, that doing, you know, having that go to market, um, was something that enforced how we, we built the product and how we evolved it over time. So at the beginning, it was, it was pretty obvious that micro businesses and sometimes startups fall under that category would use us, but it was, it, it was, it was even more surprising when you had 
you know, the largest brands in the world use you for their, you know, radio ads or TV campaigns or, and it's just, it's, I mean, if, if you don't dig into it, you don't, you don't even see it. Um, it's, it's, it's incredible how, how, how inspiring that was to so many different, so many different types of businesses. And I think that just, just making that experience of interacting with a professional, um, you know, making it a one click or making it stupidly simple was, was just unleashing so much, so much opportunity. You know, it, it doesn't seem unlikely that Fiverr would be a successful company, but it does potentially from the outset seem surprising that it would be a unicorn because you have to think of the, you know, and then some obviously, but you think about billion dollar companies and you think about a $5 price tag. Um, how did you get around this like uh, mix between ambition and where the company can go and naysayers and potential investors like in the early days? Yeah. When I was thinking about ideas uh, and, and creating this framework of how to, how to come up with ideas, I was I was getting close to my forties, and it was it was important for me to to make something that that would that would have meaning at scale, that would change people's lives, make them better at the scale, and. When I was thinking about this, I was thinking something that that, that would have a volume of a hundred million dollars. That, that to me sounded uh, very ambitious. And when I when I came out with with Fiverr and I started talking about this, and I was throwing this number, it, it seemed almost crazy, you know, coming up with with from these microtransactions, and then. It, it grew up so fast that I told myself, you're so stupid. I mean, you're aiming too low and you, you, sh- you shouldn't, you shouldn't say that you shouldn't talk about hundred million as, as a, as an achievement because th- that, you know, um, by definition, um, uh, signals that you're not aiming high enough. And, and then I said a billion. And pe- people laughed. Um, and and at some point I said, you know what, you 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 aim low again. So so none of it has been obvious. And I think that this is this is how I constructed the story, and this is how I raised money. What I needed was conviction, but conviction is 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 about the stage in which you are. Meaning, every time you reach a point where you prove that the next step is is viable is possible right so every time i had i i i went to these junctions i raised money and this was you know had nothing to do with the fact that of how much money we we had or didn't have it was just about the fact that we could we could fuel and by the way in 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 terms of these days we raised very little amount of money how much have you raised I think in in total less than two hundred million. In 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 you know up until the IPO, which I mean the company was was about nine years old uh, at the time, and a lot of it was in the bank um, when when we IPO. So uh, I look 
some of my mistakes uh, were around raising money, not raising enough and not raising on time, but, but also picking uh, the choice of, of investors. And uh, in Fiverr, I've took all, all the lessons that I've learned and we, we brought Fiverr to be a public company having you know ordinary shares for everyone. All of our investors had ordinary shares. It was plain vanilla. That's very remarkable, by the way. But you can do that only if your first investors agree to do it and they help you persuade the second. Fiverr went public in 2019. Then the following year, the pandemic hit. Freelancers especially faced a cliff edge with the first lockdown, meaning many were suddenly left without work. And at the beginning, it looked like Fiverr were in big trouble. But then something incredible happened. In, in March 2020, when the entire world went into lockdown, at, at that day, or in, in those days, we lost 15, 17% of our business overnight. That, that was the beginning. And then after about 10 days, maybe two weeks, it rebounded and it, it started just growing like crazy. But so listeners actually have the context. I read that you grew 700% to $6.5 billion by the end of 2020. This is not a small amount of growth. This is like an outrageous amount but to handle. Listen, listen. Um, market cap is, is nice, but this is it has nothing to do with your performance. Um, we reach at, at the peak we've reached, the um, market cap of the company was $11 billion. Um, and... And the company was doing great, but the multiples were were just were just crazy. Um, and it's it, w- it wasn't just us; it was just I mean, it, the, the 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 public market went went crazy. Um, and and at that point as well, I, I I was telling the team guys don't like don't get used to it. It's just this is you know heads down, focus on 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 performing and executing that 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 is what matters the rest is going to sort itself out over time that we we quote by by communicating by talking a lot and and but also understanding that listen business is is cyclical it's there's cycles um in business, if you've been in business enough, I've, I've been through the dot-com bust as a business person, as a businessman. I've done through the recession of 08 and now this. So so knowing that even when you're very fortunate, that is also not going to last forever. I mean, it, and, and there's going to be price to pay for it because everything is going to be comped against that. So if you deliver a year where you grow over 100%, where you're already a big company, then the expectation next year is going to be comped against 100%. It's going to be impossible to beat that, and it's going to be impossible to even get close to it. So, so understanding that there's going to be there's going to be consequences to it also later. So allow yourself to to enjoy the fact that you're fortunate, but understand that this this is going to to come with a price as well. At the craze of, of the pandemic, when we were seriously g- growing crazy fast, we were obsessed about th- the things that we had on the roadmap and what we needed to execute. But 
but but what was what was really important is that it, it, you know what we've gained from it lasted it it wasn't like a sometimes you get a spike you get mentioned somewhere and you get a lot of traffic and you know it dies the day after for us we we took the company public in 2019 mid 2019 3 years after the company is three times larger <laughs> three to 300% like it three three times larger and profitable which we weren't at that time so so that was really the important thing because that that allows us to that allows us for the ability to to build greater things for the community and and i think that this is this is what's what's important and, and really sticking and staying true to your mission to your to your to your values across Great times and bad times. It's just you know it it creates a, a right path to eventually succeed over time. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, I've got even more questions now. You'll you'll be sad to hear. Um, what's the most stressful experiences of your life? Have they been family or work related? And reflection. Ah, uh, definitely, definitely family. Um, listen work is work it's 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 imp as important as it is and and don't get me wrong my, you know what i do is who i am right and i'm completely immersed into it and i'm i'm totally invested in this and my and everything you and do you know and sorry to interrupt you but and do you know how unhealthy that is yet can't do anything about it uh, or don't care no 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 uh, absolutely listen everything you do in life comes with a price and that's another realization that that is super obvious when you when you hear me say that but it is not as obvious when you're um you know trying to figure out who you are, who you want to be, which type of entrepreneur or business person you want to be, who, what type of leader do you want to be? Um, every decision that you make comes with a price. If you spend time at the office, you're not spending time with your family and friends. If you're putting too much time uh, into something and neglecting your health, um, then that, that's the price. Everything comes with a price. I, I always strive to put myself in a place where I can be, um, where I, I I feel okay about how about the choices that I make and the prices that I have to pay. And everything comes with a price. And it's it, you you need to be okay paying the price because if not, you're in a constant conflict and and you're miserable. Because you're both putting the time and suffering from it. And it sounds easy, but it took it took me many, many years uh, to, to get into that place where I actually felt okay with myself. Because there's a lot of when you're consumed with with things that you do, um, th there's a lot of guilt that comes with it. Amazing. And Miha, that brings me very nicely on to your final insight, which is what is what is some advice that you could offer to entrepreneurs that want to go on a phenomenally 
uh, interesting winding journey of entrepreneurship, you know, possibly build their own public company. What would you say to them to inspire? So my advice is stop obsessing about fucking valuations because they mean shit. They mean nothing. Because whatever you're valued at, you're, you're not worth it. Trust me. Obsess about structure. Right. So people people have this huge ego about saying, you know, what, what their valuation is. How many companies do you know told the story of what they had to give to get that valuation? How many downside protections and, you know, ratchets and double deeps and vetoes and whatever? They don't tell that story. Obsess about that. Obsess about structure. Uh, valuation is not important. It's seriously not important. Um, and I think I think that if if you can if you can if you can create an old stru- a no structure, then it creates tremendous amount of alignment between yourself and your investors. And and that is worth so much. If I look at you know if I look at our our first investors, Guy Gamzu, Jonathan Kolber, I mean these guys are now some of my best friends. Um, but they're still a part, they're on the board of the company. You know, I mean, it's, I mean, these are just incredible people that had alignment from day one with, with the the vision and the mission of the company and, and had the same stake, you know, in it. And, And so, so that, that is really important. And every, every, every person has his own story for me. I mean, building also a culture was really important. Um, everybody talks about culture. It's a, you know, it's it, to the point where it, it, it becomes super fluff. Um, but, but coming up with frameworks and principles and, and, and codifying values for me was, all, was always important as a person. It was important for me as a, as a, you know, in my relationships with myself and with my family. Uh, and it was very important for me in in building a team, and I think that making an investment in in coming up with with things that 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 people can relate to and people can live by is such a powerful thing, such a powerful thing. This is amazing, uh, Miha. I can't thank you enough. I know that you've been extremely generous with your time, um, but what I've learned about you just in the short experience of interviewing you. Um, you're generous with insights, have a lot of thought that you've provided to certain things and have a lot of uh, deep experience and wisdom to share. So really grateful that you've done that with our listeners. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Mika Kaufman, CEO and co-founder of Fiverr. Next week on Secret Leaders. Millions of people around the world can have completely new and fulfilling experiences at the touch of a button that enrich their lives, that give them more fulfillment, that give them more opportunity, that give them a chance to try new things, to be new things, to meet people they never would have met otherwise, to create value they never would, maybe to have jobs that they couldn't otherwise have had, right? I I think this, this metaverse stuff might end up being much more important than we think. That's Herman Narula, the CEO and co-founder of British Unicorn Improbable. You might have heard about the metaverse. Well, they're making it, or rather, they're making the metaverses. Join us next week to find out how. 
Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening to this episode of Secret Leaders. I've been your host, Dan Murray-Serta. It was produced by Ruth Edwards and brought together by our head of podcast, Will Stolliman.